I have more control as a writer because during the pandemic, there was no one to tell me I couldn't write. If I wrote one script and it didn't go anywhere, I would just write another and then another. And I want to write because I love writing, not necessarily because it might sell. Magic Makers, Kelsey Foremost here, your host of Find Your Magic, the podcast where mental health and entrepreneurship meet. I am putting on my former career hat of actress today because I'm speaking with a friend of mine who is still in the industry, Anna Chazelle. Anna is a filmmaker, actor, and screenwriter at WME who specializes in horror storytelling. And we are going to talk to her today about how she found her way to that particular unexpected genre. And I love this because both she and I had the experience of being told that as actresses, we looked a certain way or we sounded a certain way. And we were sort of pigeonholed into. And I'm more speaking for myself right now. You can hear Anna's perspective of her experience, but getting pigeonholed into like, well, you look like this and you sound like this, ergo, you're only going to be right for these types of roles. And it wasn't until the pandemic hit where Anna really had the chance to be the storyteller herself. And she started diving deeper into writing, which was something that she kind of was wanting to explore, but she didn't really have that full opportunity to dedicate that much time to writing until the pandemic. And so she got started doing theater in New York. That's actually how we met, like really originally. We were both New York theater kids. And then she has since transitioned into becoming this multi-hyphenate who specializes in science fiction and the macabre, which I love so much. She's currently developing a feature film that explores the origins of the Greek legend Medusa with Fangoria, and she's also writing an unannounced horror film for Netflix. She has really built an incredible career from after really leaning into what lit her particular creative fire paving her own path, exploring the stories that she really wanted to tell versus just doing what the industry told her she should be doing. And I think that we can all learn from that actor, writer, or no. There are many boxes that the world tries to put us in, particularly when it comes to how we make money. And it's only when we really pause, sit with it, and think like, is this allowing me to give my gifts in the way that I want to give them? Is this truly going to add to my life, add to other people's lives? Like, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Taking the time to explore both the external goal as well as the internal goal that we set for ourselves when it comes to our careers and our art and being just a creative hearted person. Um, 
This episode also does discuss the writer's strike and the Screen Actor Guild strike. We are recording on Monday, November 27th, when the Writer's Guild strike is finished, is ratified, and they were able to get incredible concessions. But the Screen Actors Guild um, strike is a little bit more complicated, and we do offer some opinions on what's going on there and the ripple effect that we anticipate seeing across multiple industries as a result of whether or not the SAG contract gets ratified. So by the time this gets published, there may be a ratified SAG contract. There may not. We don't know. Um, But as of recording, we're still in the voting period. So Enjoy this amazing episode with my friend, multi-hyphenate extraordinaire, Anna Chazelle. Anna Chazelle, my dear friend, it's been far too long since I've seen your face in real life, but I'm thrilled to at least get to see it in virtual life. Thank you. It's so great to see you too. It really has been a while, even before you moved out of LA, which I don't remember when that was, but it's definitely been pre-pandemic at least. I moved, the movers came for my things to move my things into my ex's apartment in Seattle, February 29th, 2020. You were moving out of Seattle, correct? I was moving to Seattle. So in 2020, I had made the decision to take a break from the acting industry, take a break from LA. And I was moving in with my then partner who lived in Seattle And I sold everything. I sold all my worldly possessions except for my books and some clothes, essentially. Put a couple things in storage at my mom's. And lo and behold, uh, the pandemic hit in Seattle, like right when I was supposed to get up there. And so I got delayed and quarantined with my mom in San Diego with just my little carry-on suitcase for like five months. It was wild. Oh, that sucks. You weren't able to make it up there to be quarantined with your partner. I'm sure being in San Diego with your mom, like that sounds nice too, but it's, you know, it's too bad. It's like just a few days later, you would have been able to cozy up over there. I know, but you know what? It was definitely for the best because that relationship didn't work out. And if we had been quarantined in a 600 square foot studio, I think, I don't know how that would have gone. And frankly, I don't want to know. <laughs> that's, that's a very good point. Did you end up going up to Seattle after uh, quarantine was I over? Did. I did end up going up to Seattle and it became apparent like pretty quickly within a few months that like it wasn't the right decision that long distance worked for us, but living together and like actually doing life together didn't work out. And It was horrible at the time. And now it's like the best thing that's ever happened to me because what happened was it was the first time, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this because you just got your own apartment for the first time. It was the first time that I could live anywhere I wanted to. Like I, oh, oh, Zoom. (laughs) saw that I did a thumbs up. That's fun. It's a little creepy. (laughs) I'll do it again. That's so hilarious. AI, man. We'll we'll get to AI later in this conversation. Just buckle up, folks. I had my own apartment in LA, but I hadn't had like a dedicated place that was mine that wasn't in a big apartment building. And I'd always wanted that. 
And I could live anywhere that I wanted to because I wasn't tied to any particular city for a job or for a relationship. And it was like, you know, cue, eat, pray, love. And I really had to dig deep and be like, cool, cool. So who am I if I'm not identifying as an actress, if I'm not identifying as this person's partner, if I'm not identifying as daughter, if I'm not like all these roles that women play and I didn't have any of them all of a sudden. And it was like, oh shit, I have to figure out who I am and what I like and what I want to do with my time and my life. It was a huge blessing that felt like a huge not blessing. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it is during those moments of silence that I think we sort of have to uh, sift through all the voices that then are able to come in and figure out who we really are. I think the pandemic ended up doing that for a lot of people. Um, For myself too, although I, it wasn't so much that I had any sort of like um, crisis of, of identity, but it was more that it gave me the, the space to actually be able to do what I wanted to do and what I, Mm. well, not what I initially came to LA to do because I came to LA solely to act and then started writing and directing. And it was during the pandemic, I was laid off from my day job. I was getting unemployment, which look, I know this is controversial to some people, but the reality is that I was making more money from unemployment during the Mm. pandemic than I had ever gotten from any job. And so suddenly I was being told to stay at home. I was getting more than enough money to get by or at least not to worry about it. And I had nothing but time. And Mm -hmm. so I wrote my first feature and that ended up getting optioned. And that is weirdly like, I trust that I would have gotten it written, of course, if the pandemic hadn't happened, but it was a really strange moment of, of kismet for me, at least, even though it was such a horrible thing to happen, it was a strange blessing for me where my life definitely there's like a, there was a a clear trajectory onwards from that moment that I don't, I think would have been a lot more difficult to achieve had I not had that opportunity. Yes. Oh my gosh. And I completely empathize and know exactly what you mean about the unemployment thing. Mm -hmm. I had a job during the pandemic, but every single one, like bar none, there was no exception. All of my friends in entertainment were making more from unemployment than they ever had as actors or piecing together all the different survival jobs that we had to have in order to pursue our art. So I think that that's why it's so, it's actually really important, especially because, you know, we're recording this as the actor strike is potentially wrapping up. We don't know. Um, the writer's strike did wrap up and there's a, it's in the news a lot, right? That actors are like, you're telling us we can't work. Lol, we're used to not making any money from our art, from our craft. And I don't think most quote unquote normal people or people who haven't been exposed to the industry in some way 
fully understand that. And it's not just actors. It's also writers. It's also reporters, like investigative journalists. There are a lot of people who are creative for a living, quote unquote, who cannot make a living. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important to de-glamorize that and be like, hey, that movie that you saw, that indie movie that you want to maybe go see, like that was written by a real person (laughs) who like really cares about this thing or go to these film festivals, watch shorts. Like that is the art that we need to be supporting. I could, I digress. No, not, not at all. I mean, I think that if I had not, um, as I mentioned, I, I came to LA with the intention of solely being an actor, a film, you know, I got my start in theater in New York and then came here to do film and television and was pounding the pavement back when in-person auditions were a thing. <laughs> and, um, and I was getting just very frustrated because as I'm sure, you know, you had your own experience, it's, it's very hard to remain encouraged in this kind of industry. I, I just think that the way that the system is set up for how we, we, um, how as burgeoning artists, we get opportunities for ourselves, especially as actors. I just think it is set up in a manner that is extremely difficult. And I think has only become harder, especially now with the, um, the terrifying prospect of AI and just, you know, the controversial details of the new SAG deal. And I just think it's, it's very hard to get your foot in the door, let alone make a living for yourself. And so I started writing slash directing kind of just out of anger because yeah. I was like, I'm, I need to do something that fulfills me creatively. And as I'm sure, you know, actors were told over and over and over again, make your own work. Mm-hmm. And so I sort of finally was like, fine, I'll write something. I tried to write and then quickly realized that if I was going to do this, I had to take the time to actually learn how to write and learn about structure and learn about character, that it wasn't something you could just easily make a lateral move into. It is an also an whole last job. <laughs> job. It, is, it is difficult. It is competitive. It requires a lot of mental um, stamina and So I started studying and reading scripts and that's when I discovered that I really loved horror and I really loved science fiction and psychological thrillers, all genres that I wasn't really getting auditions for. Mm. Um, I was getting auditions for, you know, sorority girl or um, secretary number five or something. And which, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, but I never would have discovered my love for these weird off-kilter genres had I not started writing. And also during the pandemic, um, sorry. No, you're good. During the pandemic, if I had not had that outlet, I don't know what I would have done. I I would have gone insane. And so many of my friends who were strictly actors were 100% going insane during the Mm -hmm. pandemic and doing Zoom plays and baking bread. And look, I was doing that too. But for me, having a alternate pathway to to creative expression was, I cannot emphasize how important that was, how helpful and healing that was. I love that term. I'm literally writing it down. An alternate pathway to creative expression. 
Oh, I feel like that's so important. <laughs> that's so important. Um, and what is amazing is that that pathway can open up so many other things, right? Like exploring writing is what opened you up to directing and producing. And I remember you posting on Instagram after you had directed, I think it was a horror short Mm -hmm. that you had written. And you were like, I finally feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. And what that makes me think of for the audience is if you are in a place where you're like, I'm doing the thing kind of that I said I wanted to do, but there's still like a missing piece. Is there in Anna's words, an alternate pathway to creative expression? And what might that look like? And I think just to expand on that a little bit, I made that pivot I don't even like to say pivot because I didn't move away from acting. I expanded um, my circle of of what I consider to be my personal favorite methods of storytelling. It used to just be acting. And then I opened it up to include writing and directing. It's really cool to think of it that way as like acting was maybe the kernel in the middle. And then the way that Anna, for listeners, the way that she was just talking she, like me, uses her hands to talk. I I have it in my Italian genes. I don't know what your excuse <laughs> is, girl. But it was almost like concentric circles emanating outward from that initial kernel, right? So you may only be exposed to one way, one pathway of creative expression, but there are all these concentric circles that like expand out that still contain that initial pathway, that still not just scratch the itch, but might like open you up to things that you didn't even know you were good at. There was a, there was definitely a part of me that was very reluctant to, to make this Mm. expansive move. Because I think another thing that we're really reiterated is reiterated to us as actors is how much auditions are a numbers game and you have to be constantly available and, Mm. and, um, And the thought of allowing myself to, say, get a job in a writer's room and not be available for auditions was terrifying. Totally. To me, I just felt like, what am I giving up? What have I been doing for these past 10 years if I'm just going to, you know, abandon the the kind of life that I've worked so hard to build for myself? Mm -hmm. And it was really after a period of a couple of months, uh, maybe a year where I just could feel my motivation and my passion for the art form just really starting to wane. Mm-hmm. I was feeling very browbeaten and just very discouraged. And so I, and it felt like the universe was pushing me in this direction. Yeah. And I do firmly believe that if you are meant to take a particular path, the universe will make your current circumstances increasingly uncomfortable until you finally do it. Yeah. And that's very much that it felt like that was what was happening. Mm. And so I finally was like, okay, fine, I'm I'm gonna do it. I I got a job as a writer's assistant on a TV show, had no time for anything else. Um, but my life did a 180. And I not only found that there was this whole other world of storytelling and artistic catharsis that was available to me, I found that I was 
it really, really interested me. Mm-hmm. I was able to dive into the kind of stories that weren't necessarily available to me solely as an actor, because you are, as an actor, unfortunately, the way that it is, it's just, you are kind of limited to what you can be hired as. Right. And I also just discovered that I was honestly pretty good at it. Like I was getting more success uh, in this field than I was solely as acting, um, solely from acting. And um, yeah, and and I don't, I can't imagine, you know, people ask me less now, but by, uh, about a year or so ago, there was a period of time where I f- think that people didn't really believe that someone could be a true multi-hyphenate. There was this idea that one always had to take precedence over the Mm. other. You had to be an actor first and foremost, or a writer first and foremost. And I would often be asked, what's your like number one? And my answer was always, there is no number one. All three, or I guess maybe acting and filmmaking, they have dual custody over me. I can't. Um, they all scratch different itches of the same goal, which is storytelling. Yeah. And I okay. Think so I think that's really important though. I think that's really, really important. You had to know that your goal was storytelling in the first yeah. place. Right. Yeah. And I think that a lot of, uh, a lot of us are not presented with the opportunity to understand what the North star is. I think that we, feel some sort of magic in one particular job or one particular opportunity, or maybe even one particular class when we're growing up. Right. So for me, I was a kid with social anxiety. And when I gave, I was given a script and a song that I could memorize the words to, I came alive because I wasn't having to come up with something to say. And I spent decades chasing that magic of what that felt like when I was 10 years old, but it wasn't until I had, I mean, full circle moment to what we were talking about earlier of me having that move right before the pandemic. It wasn't until I had that horrible dark night of the soul chapter where I really re-examined what is the North Star? What was the magic? What is the thing that I'm actually pursuing? Because it's not a career as an actor. It's a career that connects deeply with people's emotions and make them makes them say, oh my God, that's exactly how I felt. Or that's exactly how I feel. Or I never thought about it that way. That's that's the thing. <laughs> yeah. I, I I think you really hit the nail on the head. And I think that acting, I think, is one of the most artistically spiritual and fulfilling things that you can do. Um, of course, I say that with bias as an actor. I mean, like, I'm not, you know, say a dancer. I'm sure, you know, if you were a dancer, if you're a musician, you'd feel the same way. Everyone has their own passion. For me personally, I mean, people are bit by the acting bug for a reason. I think yeah. there is something so immediately powerful about it that just really can ignite a fire in people that they didn't realize was there. Um, as I mentioned before, I think it's just the way that the industry is set up does mean that it's very hard to make a living out of it. And it's really hard not to tie in your self-worth to that. Yes. And I know for me, there was a hard time 
reconciling who I was at my core with who I was getting cast as or who I was getting called in as. Mm. Um, I have a rather youthful looking face. And so I was getting called in for a lot of like, I was being told that I was like a cutesy little Disney uh, princess or something, which there's nothing wrong with that. But for me, I just was like, yeah, sure, I can do that. I don't know if that's like how I see myself. And it was mm-hmm. when I started writing that suddenly there was no one who could tell me what kind of stories I could or could not tell. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, of course, I think that there are stories that some people are better at telling than others. Mm-hmm. But in terms of what interested me, I suddenly discovered, oh, there's kind of a, a darker side that I mm-hmm. really really love those kinds of stories. And once I kind of opened that door, I fell more deeply in love with it. And you can't really see because of the lighting, but I've got like all sorts of Victorian creepy artwork up and I've got like a fake skeleton cat in the corner. And I love horror movies and I love anything sort of gothic and witchy. And I never would have discovered that part of myself if I had solely been trying to lean into the category, what category of actor I best fit. Mm. And with the short film you mentioned, it was a post-apocalyptic horror film where I play just this survivor trying to eke out a a living in this um, desert-like setting. And it was a role that I probably never in a million years would have been cast as it had I auditioned for it. And a lot of the feedback I got from people who watched it it was was they said, I didn't even realize that was you Mm. because I just, it's not how I, how I see you. Mm. And they mentioned in a good way. They were like, "It, it was great. But yeah, I think that, you know, just in terms of being a multi-hyphenate, I think that giving yourself permission to widen your scope of how you how you approach your ultimate goal. I think as you mentioned before, figuring out what exactly your goal is, mm. there's <laughs> to get into writerly terms a little bit, yeah. there's external goal and there's the internal goal. The external goal might be, well, I want to be on a acclaimed TV series. Totally valid. I would love that too. The internal goal is, well, why? Do you want to bring a particular character to life that resonates with people? Do you want to live in a particular kind of world? And because the way that it's set up, there are, as an actor, you do have to have a lot of people say yes to you in order to get to that goal. You do as a writer too. Mm-hmm. But I do feel, at least for me, I have more control as a writer because mm-hmm. during the pandemic, there was no one to tell me I couldn't write. Right. If I wrote one script and it didn't go anywhere, I would just write another right. and then another. And I I want to write because I love writing, not necessarily because it might sell. I feel like I'm going in circle. No, you're doing great because here's the thing is I feel like this is applicable to so many different industries that I love the idea of the external goal and the internal goal. Like for me, I am also a writer, but in a very different way. I'm working on a memoir and a historical fiction novel. And my external goal is to get those puppies published. But the internal goal of why is totally different. And it's because I want to tell stories of women who seem, (laughs) 
who are expected to behave a certain way and who defy the odds, like who, who shed that role that society wants them to be. So it wasn't until I understood both that I could have mental health, honestly, because it's so easy to, um, not even consciously get fixated on the external goal. And when the external goal isn't happening, as you said earlier, that self-worth piece starts to come in and you're like, well, my book isn't published. What the fuck is wrong with me? I must not be good. I I must not be good. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, versus the internal goal of, well, do I feel like I'm serving this story? Do I feel like, uh, do I, do I get that amazing feeling of, oh, that's exactly what I meant to say. Like, that's my favorite feeling in the world. When I write a sentence and I'm like, oh, that's exactly what I meant to say. That's the internal goal. So once you understand that both are at play, it allows you to put less pressure on either or, right? Mm-hmm. Hundred percent. Yes. I think with writing, directing, acting, kind of like the trifecta that we tend to um, consider like the more creative positions in film, I think that they all tend to go hand in hand because I think a lot of people, they once they realize that their ultimate goal is storytelling, they become it becomes basically a three pronged approach. Um, for me, they each serve a different need. As I mentioned before, for me, acting is like the most immediate form of fulfillment. It just it just gets your blood boiling in an amazing way. For me, writing is more of a longer, drawn out feeling of mm-hmm. accomplishment. Um, the more that I write, the more I learn about myself mm-hmm. um, because I think that. They say write what you know, but I think at the end of the day, we all write what we know, whether we're trying to or not. I think Mm. you can't really escape what your own internal demons when you write, uh, because that is just going to affect how your pen moves. It's just, you know, your own perspective of the world is going to bleed out into the page, whether you want it to or not. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also think there are some people out there, I, I don't want people to hear this and think, well, I, I'm not feeling fulfilled as an actor, ergo, I must write and direct. If yeah. you want to, 100%. Like, I think it's great to have multiple outlets. But I also know people who just are not interested in it. And that's totally valid. You don't have to. You can try to, you, you could produce, you could um consult, you could uh, work in in sets or costumes, or you can collaborate with someone. There's a myriad of different ways in which you can offer your talents to this industry. And I think just, as I mentioned before with multi-hyphenates, I think people are, I don't know why, but I feel like people are warming up to the idea of people really being versed in multiple fields equally. Um, maybe it's the strikes. I don't know. Um, just the way the industry is going. And, and so I think that, you know, if you feel a hundred percent fulfilled in your one, um, trajectory, by all means, like if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But I think that if you kind of find yourself yearning for something more, I think that, allowing yourself the freedom and the time and the compassion. I think time is a big one. I think people 
we really rush ourselves, myself included. Mm -hmm. And I know when I started writing, I, I wrote like a couple of things and I really enjoyed the process, but I quickly realized that I didn't hundred percent know I was what I was doing. And so I kind of had to stop and really study structure. And then I was able to create things that I could stand behind and that other people liked as well. But giving myself permission to step out of the audition circuit, to really study so that I knew what I was doing, that was scary. Mm-hmm. Um, I think especially as women, because you know, yeah. we're told that every aspect of our life is on a, a ticking clock. Yeah. Um, That's so especially true. as millennials, as for, for Gen Zers, you know. And so yeah. giving yourself time and compassion, I think is so, so, so crucial and is something that I don't think we afford ourselves enough of. Mm. One thing I want to talk about before we wrap up is this strike, because as you're talking, I'm going, the strikes, and for anybody not um, familiar, there have been two very large strikes that have been going on for the past few months. Um, one that was recently wrapped up was the WGA, the Writers Guild of America, that they went on strike um, and they did ratify their new contract, as I understand it. And then the perhaps more publicized strike has been the Screen Actors Guild strike. And that is because actors, the Screen Actors Guild, the union of actors, has been holding out for contract renegotiations. And what's interesting, as you're talking, Anna, I'm like, the pandemic and the strike, both huge, totally out of your control, external circumstances that prevent you from taking the traditional path, right? And you don't have to be an actor to understand what that feels like. Getting laid off, um, your entire industry changing the threat of AI, whatever it is, some big external <clears throat> event happening that is totally beyond your individual control that feels like um, censorship isn't the word. Like it makes me feel like I'm not allowed to do the thing that I mm-hmm. want to be doing. But what it does is it provides this amazing freedom. It's a like, double in a way, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's funny that you just mentioned that the sort of similarities between the pandemic and the strikes, because the number of times that I've caught myself wanting to say, "Oh, you know, during the strike," but I ended up saying during the pandemic. It's almost just like like a pandemic take two or something. Mm, (laughs) Just the whole industry comes to a halt. Uh, We're all struggling to remain creatively fulfilled during this time. We're all wondering what's going to happen, what the industry is going to look like from here on out. I think, um, sorry, my cat's being particularly. (laughs) Um, I think that, you know, I'm by no means an expert on the deals. Um, I, my understanding is that the deals that the WGA got were rather groundbreaking. And I, as a writer, I'm very, very excited to get back to work. I had projects that were lined up before the strike and I'm now back to work on them. Now that the strike is over, I'm happy as a clam. Um, 
with SAG, I, I have more reservations. I am trying to wrap my head around what everything means. I, I sort of knew before they released any of the details of the deal that AI was going to be a bigger issue for actors than for writers. I think that I'm trying to not get too in my head about what the future is going to look like for actors. I think especially for actors who are still trying to to get a name for themselves, who are still kind of doing those little entry-level jobs, still doing the co-stars, the under fives. It's... It, it, I think that it could potentially go in a direction that is that could take some jobs away. I'm I don't know for sure. I don't think any of us know for sure. I don't want to fear monger, um, but I do think that I think that it did illuminate something just in the way in which actors are viewed. And I'm not talking about the A-list celebrities or even the B-list or the C-list. I'm talking about the vast majority of SAG who are who don't qualify for SAG health insurance, who can't make a living solely off of doing these acting jobs, but who are just as passionate and just as hardworking. And I do feel that there is just such a, I don't know what a appropriate term would be, but just almost a disdain, I think, or a lack of understanding, maybe as a kinder way of putting it, for mm-hmm. what life is like for these people, what reality is like for them. And, and I feel that there's a lot of people who are kind of looking at the actors and going, okay, hurry up, let's get back to work. Not recognizing that SAG went on strike for their own reasons, for very real issues that needed to be addressed. And to, to sort of dismiss those issues, because look, we all want to get back to work. Of course we do. But I think that many people are missing the point of why we went on strike in the first place, why it is so crucial that these issues be addressed. And also just remembering that people don't necessarily solely become actors because they they want to earn a hundred million dollars and live in a mansion. Like right. they we do it because because we love it. Yeah. And are willing to work, you know, crazy day jobs and spend all this money on classes and headshots and, you know, lead this rather exhausting lifestyle because we love it. Mm. And I don't often feel that these kinds of actors get the respect that they deserve. I think that is so well said, Anna. And I think that that can expand out again into multiple industries of, um, you know, most entrepreneurs, even just the word entrepreneur has a connotation, right? Most entrepreneurs are people who are freelancing, trying to make ends meet, barely making enough to live. And, you know, it's a tough world right now. Let's just be real. It is not easy to pursue your own path that you could be an actor, you could be a writer, you could be a painter, you could be a person with an Etsy shop, you could be a handyman, like any sort of freelance work where you are the quote unquote sole proprietor or you have an LLC, whatever. The huge majority are people who 
are not making a lot. And the limited protections that people do get from things like unions or the government, they're incredibly important. And when there is an opportunity to celebrate and elevate people standing together for better treatment, I support that 100%. I think that's such a great way of of looking at it. Um, I love that you were sort of building off what what I was saying, but with more of a more of a threat of positivity, which I do think is important. I don't want to be, I don't want to fear monger. I don't want to just focus on the negative. I think that the fact that both unions went on strike, I think is so incredible and not something that I think I certainly didn't foresee happening. And I think that while we are looking at the issues that actors are facing, that, that writers are facing and it's important to also look at, you know, what the issues that crew members are facing and EAs and, you know, IOTC is, is uh, their contract is going to be up soon and, and the Teamsters and so many people who, who are the backbone of this industry, but who gets so little recognition, if any, and maybe they're not in it for recognition that's fine but at the very least then they deserve respect and pay and fair hours and benefits all the things that are necessary to yeah. make a sustainable income so that we're able to live our dreams and not feel like we have to burn ourselves out at the same time yeah I also want to say one more thing, which I believe it was on your Instagram, Anna, where we were, you mentioned the phrase, like, if the consequence of speaking up about working conditions is you just don't get the job, like, mm-hmm. that's not, that, that that's an absence of rights, yeah. right? So there's also, yes, like, we don't want to be negative. We do want to, like uplift people. And, and it's so great that people are coming together. And that doesn't mean there's not room for anger. That doesn't mean there's not room for like lighting the fire in your belly. That's the thing that makes us stick together and like push through that, that finish line. Because I think that that's something that, um, a lot of larger corporations, entertainment industry and beyond kind of count on you burning out. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. I think you bring up such a great point. I think that right now, as we're as we're recording this and we're waiting to hear whether or not the SAG contract is going to be ratified, I think that there's a lot of there's a lot of um, exhaustion on from a lot of people, and exhaustion leads to infighting. And I think it's really important that right now, as you just said, we remember that. We're all trying to fight for better conditions for everyone, not not just the actors just trying to get their own or writers trying to get their own. Crew members deserve it as well. All of us deserve to be treated with respect and with Yes. And so well, I think yeah. and, and also I'm sorry to interrupt you, but beyond like you guys, this is gonna have a ripple effect on every industry. Like yes. The decisions that are made, and this is my opinion, the I have read 
the new contract, and it is extremely vague when it comes to language around AI. That's my personal opinion. I do not find it clear. I have read multiple lawyers' takes on it. They all have a similar conclusion to me, which is that the language is way too vague. And you guys, that's going to apply, like whatever happens with this, whatever happens with SAG, you can bet your bottom dollar in the words of Annie Warbucks (laughs) that it is going to apply to other industries of what they have the right to reproduce of your name, image, likeness, voice, with or without your consent, with or without compensation. Like this is important shit. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And I think to go back briefly to what you said about how certain conditions can become um, uh, a requirement for employment. Mm -hmm. And I think there are some cases where, look, if you need to cut your hair for a role, that's one thing. But if someone says, well, you're going to shoot this whole movie and we're going to pay you 10 bucks. I mean, we have a union for a reason to come in and say, you cannot offer that. You have to have a baseline of what you offer. And so this argument that, well, they are allowed to make conditions of their workers. And if you don't want to do it, then you're not the person for the job. In an ideal world, sure. But as we have seen, if there are if there is no floor mm. for the minimum that they're allowed to offer, they will go as low as humanly possible. And so, so that is why we strike. That is why we protest to say you're not allowed to go below a certain threshold because mm. it's completely unfair. It creates very poor circumstances and we deserve better than that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. I feel like I want to watch Newsies now. <laughs> you know, I've never seen Newsies. Oh, girl, what a time. Any Anybody who hasn't seen Newsies, get somebody's uh, Apple TV Plus, or not <laughs> Apple TV, Disney Plus uh, subscription, and it is so worth it. It is Christian Bale, baby Christian Bale, doing a musical theater movie <laughs> about a real life strike of the newsboys in like 19 turn of the century, New York city. It is so freaking great. Bill Pullman is in it as like the, um, the sympathetic investigative journalist and Margaret is randomly in it. It's so good. It's so fun. Can you, can you just wrap your head around the fact that Christian Bale played a protesting newspaper boy and also Batman and also Dick Cheney. You know, this is why I, this is the actors are great, y'all. This is why I don't think AI could do it. No, God, no. <laughs> I know. I have a really funny Christian Bale story and then I'll wrap up, which is that in 2010, I was in the New York Fringe Festival, which for those who don't know, is a theater festival Um, where everywhere turns into a theater, like everybody's doing a show and you have crazy hours. And um, the guy I was in the show with, we were leaving the theater or we were leaving the bar after the theater. It was like 2 a.m. And we were in the village, Greenwich Village, and we were getting to the subway stop and Christian freaking Bale is we're walking down the street and Christian Bale is walking up the street and we're passing him as we're going down into the um into the subway stairs and my friend just goes i think that was christian bale and i was like 
Batman? And Christian Bale just goes like, oh my fucking God. And just like keeps going. So like, bless you, Christian Bale. I'm sorry. That must be so annoying. But also, thank you for your service. <laughs> Batman? I just Batman? It is. I mean, he's definitely someone, him, you know, Gary Oldman. Like there's definitely people who just can can just transform into anyone and anything. And it is really bonkers. And I think that will always be more impressive to artists, but also people who just enjoy movies and aren't necessarily artistically minded. I think that that is always going to create something within them that cannot be replicated mm-hmm. by artificial intelligence. I think there is a human spark And this might sound woo-woo, but I really genuinely believe this on a biological level. Mm. I think that there is something in our brains that just connects more to other humans than it ever will to something trying its best to to be a simulacrum of a human. Yeah. Yeah. That's very hopeful. Thank you for that. (laughs) Well, Anna, thank you so much. This has been such a great conversation. And I know so many people are going to get amazing things out of it. Where can people find you on the interwebs? Thank you, Kelsey. Um, So I don't have a website. You can find me on Instagram. It's just my name, Anna Chazelle. Um, You can look at my IMDb. Uh, That's yeah. And you can also check out my short film, Narrow. It's on shortoftheweek.com. Ooh, I like that. Yes. Watch shorts, support, support indie. (laughs) Um, I love this website. There's so many tons of incredible shorts on there. So whether or not you watch mine, you should all go check it out. Awesome. Thank you so much, Anna. Take care, everybody. All right. Y'all know I'm about to ask you to subscribe to Find Your Magic on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you found us today. It truly helps podcasters pay their teams, find better guests, and give you good content. So if you want to hear more conversations about mental health and entrepreneurship, be sure to subscribe to Find Your Magic and leave us a review. Thanks for being here. Now go out there and find your magic.